0: Do you believe in the existence of ghosts? I do. Since we moved upstate to this very special region of the Catskill mountains, I found the best of guides, a beautiful local writer from the 19th century, Washington Irving. He reminds me of Maupassant in many ways and for the best. In his sketchbook, Irving takes you back in the past of this country through a mix of history and legends. The question is, has Washington Irving documented those legends, or has he invented them? The truth is that the Catskill region has definitely been a place of many hauntings where history and lore are totally entwined. Of course, it started with the Native Americans who had lived free in a free country for centuries, They had their own ghosts, who became particularly active when the first settlers and invaders came from Europe in the 17th century, but their hauntings were more melancholic than really frightening. Then came the Dutch, who carried with them their own beliefs and spectres. The most famous one around here, as reported by Washington Irving, definitely remains Rip Van Winkle. His statue can still be seen on the main street of many villages around. There's
1: also a cantilever bridge named after Rip Van Winkle. It spans the river from Hudson, New York to Catskill, both towns mentioned in Irving's story. That's one of the charming things about this area nobody seems to make much of a distinction between fictional and non-fictional historical figures. In fact, Irving's story is a fiction within a fiction. He claims that he found it among the posthumous papers of Diedrich Knickerbocker, a totally made-up personage. But despite the doubled invention of both the story and its ostensible narrator, you're told that its veracity has been completely established, and it is now admitted into all historical collections as a book of unquestionable authority. I guess naming a bridge after a person made up by a made up person indicates something about how much weight the imagination can bear.
0: Socrates and Rip Van Winkle shared a few common points, among which both had a beautiful white beard and a mean wife. Socrates, with great wisdom, remained eternally grateful to his Xantip of a spouse, who did all she could to spoil his life, but only succeeded in comforting him in his stoic general attitude. As for Van Rinkel, although constantly hand-packed, as Washington Irving put it, by his wife, he had less wisdom, and could only find peace of mind by escaping his home and all the bad vibes and going squirrel hunting in the Catskill Mountains in the company of his dog named Wolf.
1: At this point I feel compelled to add a little something. It's true that Dame Van Winkle is described variously as a henpecker, a termagant, and a virago. All terms you might quickly identify as misogynistic, But Irving does note what he calls the great error in Rip's composition, an insuperable aversion to all kinds of profitable labor. That is, he was a big old lazybones. Apparently that got on his wife's nerves. When she'd complain, he'd shrug his shoulders, shake his head, cast up his eyes, and say nothing. I imagine that could be a little irritating. Many years ago, with the happy wife of all the uncle. One day, she drove for a ripple away as the little stars began to twinkle. All that he had, he had under his hat, and she was glad to see him go. So, over
0: the hills he went, left her without
1: a cent. But back to the story.
0: One day, as Rip was hiking along, he heard someone calling. Rip Van Winkle! Rip Van Van Winkle! A short little man appeared out from nowhere, carrying a huge bottle on his shoulder and asking Van Winkle to help him with his load, which Rip, always ready to give a hand, complied to. They soon met with a party of people, even stranger looking than the short little guy and apparently his friends. The heavy and mysterious bottle was opened and everyone had a merry sip of it. Well, concerning Ripon Wrinkle, more than just one sip. Actually, he soon was so drunk that he fell flat in a grassy meadow. When he woke up, his rifle was next to him, but totally rusted. His beard had grown down through his belly, and his dear wolf of a dog had vanished. Puzzled as you can imagine, Rip von Winkle managed to find the way back to his village. But was it the same village? He didn't recognize anybody around. His house was deserted, and his hand-pecking wife was... Long dead. His nap in the mountains had lasted 18 years. Washington Irving concludes his tale like this It is a common wish when life hangs heavy on your hands that we might have a quieting draught out of Rip Von Wrinkle's flagon. As for me, life doesn't hang heavy on my hands, but still, it's been 15 months since I couldn't get back to my country, so I make sure my beard doesn't grow down to my belly since I wouldn't want to remain prisoner of the Catskill Mountains for 18 years without seeing my Normandy.
1: I miss Normandy, too, but as you can imagine, our immobility's been particularly hard on Imre. We've had to figure out some ways of easing the pain of lockdown. And I must confess that while I'm not big on Rip Van Winkle's flagon, even I have developed something of an appetite for the occasional edible that we've been cooking up from Imre's little herb garden. Fortunately, that just became legal here in New York. And while the space cookies don't knock a person out for 18 years, we definitely sleep a lot up here.
0: The other story that Washington Irving's famous for is the legend of Sleepy Hollow. But as with Rip Van Winkle, it's not exactly a horror story, except for the legend it's based on. A German horseman whose head is said to have been shot off by a cannonball and who since rides endlessly looking for it at night. An encounter no one wishes to make, even nowadays.
1: Sleepy Hollow is also very close to our house. It's located in Coxsackie, New York, just a few miles from here. That is, Irving's fictional story is firmly rooted in this very real location.
0: But Washington Irving always mixes terror with humor, and you never really get cold sweat in reading his tales. This is not the case for other stories of the kind. For example, once upon a time, there was a real mean big man named Paul Ridge, who took by force a young woman, Isabel, and made her his servant in every possible way? Through the thick stone walls, every night, one could hear screams and sobbing. <laughs> one morning, Isabel managed to escape, running away in the Catskills and finding shelter at an old black woman's shack who became like a mother to her. Totally outraged, Borridge would get no rest until he found her, and he spent his life combing the region, until one day… he popped up in the shack. With her old protectors away at the market, Isabel was kidnapped Tied up with a rope to the tail of Bull Ridge's horse and dragged back home at a galloping pace. According to the legend report, poor Isabel's miseries were at an end. Her body was dashed literally to pieces against the rocks on that awful journey, and the horse arrived at the stable with only the worn and broken cord dragging behind him. Boridge was judged and condemned, but only to wear a cord around his neck for the rest of his life as a memento of his crime. But this is not the end of the story. Isabel, probably not satisfied with this judgment, soon reappeared as a ghost shrieking for revenge at night. A few years later, she reincarnated into another specter, Through the same legend, but in another historical context. Instead of being a fair Dutch lassie, she was turned into a black slave imported from the south. And so did her ghost. But in this case, it was more than just one man being haunted and cursed. It was the whole principle of slavery. With her various reincarnations from beyond the grave, Shifting from white to black, Dutch to Indian, Spanish to German, Isabel remains the most enduring and well-known ghost of the region as a marker of the times. It seemed that, as with vampires, ghosts never die, and as with humans, they have no choice but to evolve with time and so-called progress. The 19th century saw another generation of them under the name of the industrial hauntings what's next
1: maybe biological ones the other thing that Coxsackie, new york is famous for besides being the real home of the headless horseman is a virus Coxsackie virus which generally lives in the human digestive tract there are different strains of the virus which probably didn't originate here but was first isolated and identified in the town one form is common among children And it's not generally too serious, but there's another form that's rare among adults that can, on occasion, be life-threatening. And wouldn't you know it, last January, while everybody else around here was busy getting COVID-19, Emre happened to be the one in a million guy who got a nearly fatal case of Coxsackie virus. One evening, feverish, he tottered down the stairs, clutching at his heart, which was inflamed. Coxsackie was attacking his heart, lungs, and brain. We rushed him to the hospital where they promptly called for a priest since, as the ER nurse later told me, they were convinced that he was shipping out. Thank goodness, after several days in the hospital and a somewhat protracted convalescence, he finally seems to have come back from the grave.
0: What really happened to me, I'm not sure. I could never put my hands on my blood test with the Coxsackie diagnosis. The other possibility, which actually seems the more likely to me now, is simply that I've been bewitched, possessed. Some sort of a test I had to go through to be admitted in the members only club of the local spirits. Barbara apparently didn't need this test. She must have been part of the club already, although she doesn't have the look of a ghost. Well, bewitched or struck by a virus, one possibility doesn't exclude the other. I went back to the Sleepy Hollow story and was struck by those lines that had escaped me at first. There was a contagion in the air that blew from that haunted region of Sleepy Hollow. It braced force and atmosphere of dreams, and fancies infecting all the land. Mm Mm-hmm, contagion, infection, weird terminology from Irving, who died long before the virus was born. Anyway, we enjoyed this trip to the Coxsack village. It was on a very cold Sunday, a recent snowstorm had covered the whole country. I symbolically spat out the supposed virus on Main Street, paused for a picture before the Sleepy Hollow sign, and on the way back, we stopped by the Hudson River. It was totally frozen, so we could cross it walking from one back to another. There was a little brass and banjo fanfare playing on the ice, as well as people sliding and enjoying here and there. This little adventure seemed to have been more effective than all my medications.
1: It was pretty terrifying when Imre almost gave up the ghost, as they say. But now that he's back in form, I must say his proximity to spirits in the course of that adventure wasn't exactly anomalous.
0: Sometimes, you don't have to go far to encounter ghosts they come to you in dreams and if i didn't have a chance yet to encounter a real ghost around many of them have come to me at night since we've been living here all long lost friends some that i had actually forgotten There are also those people, who although made of flesh and bones, have some ghostly characteristics, they seem to float more than to walk, to dream more than to live. I have met some on my way, ephemeral friends who didn't last long. The earth was too earthy for them, so they just vanished. One of them was called Luna. in the distance two eyes like an echo in the silence
1: For a few ghost stories from our little outpost here upstate. Come back next time when we'll tell you some vampire tales from our travels in Transylvania, back in the days when we were free-ranging.